So heading to text messages, we've got this one coming through here. The new law in the UK to keep Catholic people out of purgatory uh, is, mel- is well meant from a human perspective, mm. but is based on a non-biblical lie, and that is sad. Mm. If only God's people would read the Bible, they would know the truth about his word and his amazing love and grace. Mm. And it does, it reflects a terrible, terrible view of the character of God. This is the one thing that disturbs me about the law. I love it from a human perspective. Mm. It's just, yeah, this is what we need. We need to recognize that people need whatever comfort they need yeah. when, they're, when they're a victim. I'd, I'd more than happily go and pray with you know, a, a Roman Catholic person, do my best shot at giving them the last rites, which would probably be pretty dodgy uh, because I don't know how that procedure goes. Um, but you know, I'd pray with them. I would anoint them. Would not have any problem with somebody with, with helping somebody out in that kind of a situation, even though it comes down to their personal decision between mm. them and God. But we need to remember that these are human beings in the most extreme circumstance they'll ever go through. Okay, Texas to keep churches open by constitutional law. Surely the American Constitution separated church of state. The state or federal government never had the power to close churches. Uh, this was a ploy done by the World Health Organization, who is just about run by socialists and communists. Strong language there. <laughs> but we do need to remember that the head of the World Health Organization is uh, Tedros Ghebreyesus. I always struggle with his name. And he is a socialist communist. Where's he from? He's from Ethiopia. Wow. So you and I have been to yeah, Ethiopia yeah, and we totally. know a little bit about the history of Ethiopia and that this was a communist country for a very, very long yeah. time, uh, which government he was formerly a part of. And we also, while we're in Ethiopia, saw the massive amount of, well, probably more so myself than you because I was up north, the massive amount of development and investment that China is making to Ethiopia. Totally. Which, you know, you start to see that and you start to understand why, you know, Australia called... COVID out as a pandemic a couple of weeks before the World Health Organization did. Mm. And and anyway, I could get started on conspiracy theories all day <laughs> long on this one. He loves it. Uh, but having been to Ethiopia and having seen just how much China owns that country. Mm. Anyway. Uh, ooh, the, 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 health, the Health Act has been forced on the world which under the cover of COVID gave governments the power to close churches worldwide. None of these laws have gone through parliamentary procedures. Well, actually, here in Australia they have because we have parliamentary procedures that have given powers to the health minister to make uh, health um, uh, mandates, uh, uh, etc., there are legal actions in Supreme Courts all over the world on these points. Let's wait and see what will happen. Okay, those are going to have different results in different countries. Most of them will lose, as they did here in New South Wales mm. recently, uh, because of the laws that already are in existence. And, and, and people people seem to just assume that here in Australia we have the same you know, constitutional protections that they have nope. in the United States. That's because we watch too much American television. Yeah. We don't have what they have in the U.S. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Well, uh, God is in charge. You know what they say. You can fool most of the people all the time, but you can't fool all the people, all of the people all the time. And then in relationship to the um, song that we had, brand new song released today yep. by Anna Beden, her latest one. Uh, wow. What a beautiful song and voice. Amen. Mm. So that's just really nice and Yes, definitely. Amazing talent right there. So if you'd like to get a 
copy of uh, Anna Beden's song, then uh, jump online. I'm sure you'll find it. Yeah, Spotify, Apple Music. Like yep. you'll be able to all the usual places. You listen. All right, fantastic. I've actually stuff. got a text message coming through. Um, someone sent me birthday wishes. It was my Google Assistant. Oh, really? It knows. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's, I've got a notification on my phone. Happy birthday, Lawson. Enjoy this special day f- from your Google Assistant. So there you go. Do you do you feel warm and fuzzy inside that your birthday that your that your phone sent you birthday wishes, or do you feel warm and fuzzy inside because of all of the listeners who've been sending you birthday no, wishes? No, I feel scared for my safety because Google knows everything about you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, nothing is hidden anymore. Mm, that's right. All right, where are we up to? Try Bible. to solve our quiz. <laughs> just... Look, this isn't a this isn't the quiz solving uh, section, Lyle. This isn't the Bible study section. All right, that's right. So, seeing as we are studying Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, we will go to Deuteronomy. No, <laughs> Mark. All right, awesome, awesome. We're going to Mark this morning. Uh, we're going to look at a passage here in Mark chapter twelve, verse. 28 to 30. Let's head over there very quickly. If you are not on the road and you're not operating, operating machinery in a workshop, then maybe you would like to grab a Bible and follow us. So and if is, you are doing those things and you're feeling really dangerous, still don't. That's right. D- just just keep just your hands don't. on the wheel just or on don't. the angle grinder or whatever you're yep. using. <laughs> the oxy. Mm. I don't use oxys anymore. The plasma cutter. Yeah. Let me get up to date here. Okay. They still do use oxys, but plasma cutters are much cooler. <laughs> Mark, chapter 12. Let's go there. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm ready. Oh, you're ready? Oh, just... Verse 28. Go for it. Mark, chapter 12 and verse 28. The Bible says, as I try to find it on the page, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized Jesus had answered well, so he asked... Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Okay, so let's stop there for a moment and let's recognize that this is not the only time this question is asked. Yes. Because this is a different context to what you have in Matthew, uh, uh, was it 21? Somewhere there, in, in, in Matthew. And you find that this was clearly a question that the Jewish people spend a lot of time arguing about. They had 631 laws mm. and... Uh, it seems that they spent a lot of time debating over which ones were the most important because clearly they broke these laws a lot. Yeah. If you've got that many laws, you know you're going to be breaking them a lot. And there's something about human nature where we we always like to make ourselves feel better. Mm. And one way to make yourself feel better is to come to the conclusion that somebody else is worse than you. Mm. So when you see somebody else and they are worse than you, it makes you feel better about yourself. And so if you can find someone that's worse than you, then you can feel better. Mm. It's just a human thing. It's a terrible human thing. It's interesting as well because the keeping of these numerous laws that they had kind of defined social classes and you know upstanding within the community as well. They put massive value on it. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Absolutely, they did. And so when you broke one of these laws, if you could turn around and then somebody comes along like, oh, you broke law number 538. And you could turn around and say, yeah, but you broke law uh, 369. Mm. uh, And the one that you broke is more important than the one that I broke. Mm. So don't go pointing the finger at me. 
Yeah, that's right. And you could feel better about yourself. Mm. So you can see how when you've got that many laws, they would argue over which is the most important. Totally. Uh, and if they have the answer to this, then they're like, well, I'm always going to keep the most important one, which is means that I am going to be better than everybody else. That's right. So what it all comes down to. It's called virtue signaling. Mm. <laughs> wow. That's what it is. An ancient problem right here. Has always been. It's never gone away. Human beings still do it. And the reason behind virtue signaling is people feel bad about themselves mm. and they want to feel better about themselves. Totally. And so they're like, well, I'm a virtuous person and you're not. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, continue reading on. And here you've got a situation where, okay, this guy's a scribe. Yes. And as a scribe, he is somebody whose job it is to actually write out the laws. Mm. So he's somebody who is an expert in the law. He knows them very, very well. Uh, when the scribes, the scribes had very strict procedures on how they would actually write out the laws. So, you know, for instance... Um, they would start with a piece of paper because it had to be hand copied. Mm. They'd start with an original and they would start copying that onto the page, you know, onto a blank piece of paper. Yes. Now, on the one that they're copying from, there would be a number. That's not the page number. That's the number of letters, characters, jots and tittles on that or punctuation marks uh, on that particular page. Mm. And so then they would transcribe the whole thing and they would, you know, proofread it, they would count it, the number had to come up right, and then like three other people had to proofread it and count it. And if there was one punctuation mark, one of the slightest jot or tittles that was out of place, they would burn it. Mm. This is why Jesus says, you know, not one jot or tittle shall uh, shall disappear from the you know shall be done of the law will be done away with until you know until heaven and earth pass away. Not one jot or tittle will be done away with from the law, mm. because they were very very careful not to let one jot or tittle. Of course, he was talking about the Ten Commandments. Yes, and you go on and he's like talks about you know thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the context of what Jesus is talking about. But they were so careful that nothing was missing. It was a very like apt. Um illustration to them like they understood yes like that like when jesus said you know not one jot or tittle they were like oh we get that that's what we do dude yeah because we write god's law and we make sure that no jots or tittles are missing from it Mm. and if there is one jot or tittle missing we burn it that's right the whole book the whole thing everything that we've copied out it's gone they would not keep it and so um so this is the this is the kind of person you know, to be a scribe, you had to be, you know, pretty much um, obsessive compulsive. Yeah, that's right. OCD. Mm. And so this is the kind of person that's talking to Jesus. He knows the law. If mm. you were if you were copying the law out like that, you would know the law. That's he right. knows it really, really well. Okay, let's go to verse 29. Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and the only Lord. And you must love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Okay, so Jesus comes out and like, yep, that's an easy question to answer. You guys have been arguing over this for the last 300 years. Let me settle it for you. Here it is. Okay, so when Jesus uses the words here, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Mm. 
Why does he say that? Uh, I guess it's to quell paganism and to promote, you know, monotheism. <laughs> okay, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Mm. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Let's see what the Bible says over here. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, as I find it on the page. The Bible says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, uh, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Okay, so Jesus, when he comes in here in verse 29 of Mark chapter 12, and he says, you know, Jesus answered, the first of all the commandments is, is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, mm. is quoting directly from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That's what Jesus is, that's, mm. that's you know, and, and he just continues quoting from there. And so when Jesus answers the question, which is the greatest law, he first quotes from Deuteronomy, then he quotes from Leviticus. Mm. And so the next verse there, of course, in verse 31, the second is like unto it, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, there is none other commandments greater than these, is what Jesus says. Uh, he is quoting from first Deuteronomy and then secondly, Leviticus. Mm -hmm. And so the scribe has asked, which is the greatest ones in the law? In other words, which is the greatest law in the Torah? Mm. And Jesus is like, oh, that's easy to answer. This one and this one. And... This particular scribe, he's no fool, and neither is he arrogant, because notice what uh, the Bible goes on to say in verse 32 and 33. Oh, sorry, Mark chapter 12, verse 32 and verse 33. So that's Mark 12, 32 and 33. It continues on, The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God, and no other, and I know it is important. Uh, I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. Okay, goes on and says, and when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, "You are not far from the kingdom of God." And no man after that was game to ask Jesus any questions. Mm. Because they knew they were always going to get the right answer and <laughs> it would just be one of those, you know, simple, straightforward answers. And, and you know, this is a question that they've been arguing about for centuries. Mm. Jesus makes this statement. He's like, these are the two greatest laws. And if you've been arguing about this for centuries and let's say that you have been upholding a different law, mm. What are you going to say at this particular point? Is there any law that you can pull out at this particular point and say, ah, you know what, this one is actually greater than that one? Yeah, Deuteronomy 23.1. What does it say there? He who has been emasculated by mutilation or crushing shall not enter the congregation of the Lord. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. That is a terrible, that is, that is a terrible example. That was a joke. It is. This is a terrible example, but <laughs> it proves the point. It doesn't matter which one of the yeah, laws that you pull out. That's right. You know, is it, uh, you know, let, let's go with, uh, and I think we talked about this before, you know, thou shalt have no carved images. Mm. Are you going to claim that that law is more important than loving God? Mm. No. Uh, thou shalt not kill. 
Are you going to claim that that law is more important than loving God? Or loving your neighbours. You know? Or loving your neighbour. Yeah, exactly, loving yeah. your neighbour, because Jesus includes both of them here. Mm. It's included in those. That's right. That's the power of this one. And so if you were in the crowd at that particular point and you're like, yes, Jesus is going to pick a law, and as soon as he picks a law, I will be in a position where I can debate with him because I have been refining my arguments on this particular law over here for so long, and then Jesus picks a law, and you're like, okay, how do I argue against that? This is the big point. He picked all of them at the <laughs> yeah, same time. So <laughs> like, that's what he does. Like, like what, what one of these laws doesn't fit under loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself? The ones they made themselves. Yes. Because out of the 613, there was a bunch that they made up themselves. Exactly. Those ones. But even they could make the point that these are lesser than God's law. I think that there would be a very small group of people who would be arguing that the laws that they made themselves are more important than God's laws. You know, but like legit, like at that point, there's just nothing you could say. Like he's picked all of them, which again heightens the sense i feel of maybe condemnation and guilt on themselves because they're like oh we've been trying to pick one law because we want to not keep the rest of them and now jesus is like oh well, actually um all of them you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different and let's go back to our consideration of mark chapter 12 verse 28 and 30 and in this passage, you've got Jesus quoting from the Old Testament. We've been talking about that and how he is defining which is the greatest of the laws. Mm. But what is interesting is how that you cannot separate the Old Testament from the New. Uh-huh. And uh, I think this is super uh, important for us to all take into consideration because the um, so often amongst Christianity we find people who try and put more emphasis on the New Testament than the Old. Totally. You find even people who will do a translation, and they're like, well, let's just do a translation of the New Testament. <sighs> or you'll find people who will go around and hand out New Testaments. Mm. Or you'll find people who say, I'm a New Testament Christian. I really feel sad when I meet somebody who calls themselves a New Testament Christian because it's like, well, you're like, what, one-third, one-quarter of a Christian? Yeah. Because I'm a whole Bible Christian. You're like, I love the whole lot. Dude, the New Testament was written over a period of like less than a hundred years versus like fourteen hundred and sixty years of scripture of God work like of God like the same God yes working in the saying world saying the same things yeah and you're also cutting out the entire Bible that Jesus used uh huh so Jesus didn't have a New Testament. Mm. Jesus is constantly using the Bible, constantly reading from the Bible, constantly quoting the Bible, constantly preaching from the Bible. He goes into the synagogue and he opens the Bible, he reads it and he preaches from it. This is what Jesus does. It's all about the Bible for Jesus. And simultaneously, you might be able to say, oh, well, people, you know, uh, quote from all sorts of documents. It doesn't mean they necessarily report it. And someone could try to make that case about Jesus used the Old Testament because that's what they had at the time. No, Jesus is God. That's right. And inspired the Old Testament. That's right. Jesus was the one He's who the author. showed up to the prophets and was like, write this. Why? And, and that's when it's like, okay, well, why, how do we know that it was written by him? Well, because it's all about him. 
like the Old Testament. It's just yes. like, oh, the Messiah is going to do this. And the Messiah is going to do this. And the Messiah is going to do this. And Jesus shows up and is like, all of these things that you have read are about me. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And then on top of that, we have the New Testament that is written after mm. Jesus ascends back to heaven. Go to the book of Revelation, like 90% of Revelation. Take out all the Old Testament uh, quotes and allusions in Revelation. Mm. You've got 10% of Revelation left. That's it. Wow. That's a simple fact. 90% of Revelation is made up of just directly quoting from the Old Testament. Man, maybe New Testament Christians are like, oh, that 10%, it's the remnant. The other, <laughs> the other 90%. Is- so let's say it would be an interesting exercise if you took the New Testament and you cut out. He's like, we're going to be New Testament Christians. Okay, so we're going to cut out everything from the New Testament that is a quote of the old. Well, book of Hebrews, gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> Revelation, gone. gone. Like, How much of Romans would be left? You know, Galatians, he's constantly hmm. building his case because he's build, basically building a legal case in these books uh, for salvation, and he's building his entire case based on the authority of and quoting from the Old Testament. Mm. The entire New Testament, the experience of all of the apostles, the only Bible that the apostles had that they could use in founding the Christian church was the Old Testament. That's right. They had no other Bible. Mm-hmm. That was it. Anyway, let's go over to the book of Luke while we're talking about this because it's a really, really critical uh, passage here in Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 16. And while I'm heading to Luke chapter 16, we had a question come through on this chapter for the end.digital that we're going to be addressing this evening. Oh, classic. So you've got a really interesting parable here. Um, it's an allegory. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It's quite controversial. Mm. So you've got the story of the rich man and Lazarus here and uh, basically you've got Jesus gives a parable in which, which is very unique because he actually names one of the characters in the parable. Mm. Somebody that the, the, the question is, well, we need to get this person to go back from the dead. Mm. This is the only parable where Jesus gives a name to one of the characters. Yeah. You know, all the other parables, it was like, well, you know, if you go to that, back to the parable just before this, um, you've got the parable of... Uh, the shrewd manager. The shrewd manager. And it calls him the shrewd manager. Yeah. That's all it calls him. You know, it doesn't give him a name. And there was a worker. And there was a shrewd manager. And there was a rich fool. And there was this, that, and the other. Yeah. It's- that's right. That's how it goes. There was a farmer who sowed seed. Yeah. And here you've got the same thing. There's There was a rich man, it says. Mm. And a poor man named Lazarus. Mm. The only time that Jesus gives a name to one of the characters in a parable. What's interesting is that towards the end of this, and of course, you know, there's this, this highly, highly symbolic allegorical parable uh, about the experience of this rich man and him going to hellfire and this. Uh, poor man named Lazarus going to Abraham's bosom. Mm. That's a bit of a problem if everybody, if you know, all the saved spend it, the eternity in Abraham's bosom. But anyway, that's a, that's a subject for tonight. We will <laughs> discuss tonight, that tonight. Yes. Um, okay, where are we up to? But anyway, the long and the short of it is, is that the rich man who is suffering says, look, I've got some brothers. I don't want them to suffer as well. So send Lazarus back from the dead 
And if you come down to, where am I? That's chapter 14. Let's go to chapter 16, get it right here. Um, verse 27. Let's pick the story up in verse 27. In verse 27, the, Bible, a rich man speaking. the Bible says, Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. Okay, so um, and keep reading, keep reading. It continues on. It says, But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. Okay, in other words, they've got the Bible. Let them read the Bible. Mm. What else do they need? Then it goes on. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if one of them went to went to them from the dead, they would believe. Mm. Jesus said, if they won't believe the Old Testament, neither will they believe if one rose from the dead. And then he proceeds to raise a man from the dead named Lazarus, and they still don't believe. Why not? Because they don't believe the Old Testament, mm. the Bible that God has given to us. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Right now it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day is, I always thought, this is a question that's come in, in relationship, actually. I was about to read the question, then I was like, no, I should say this. Um, we talked about Judas. We talked about, you know, how he ultimately, you know, was judged and found wanting. You know, it's yes. called Judas's sin in the Bible yes. um, for, for what went down with betraying Jesus. And now we've had another clue, uh, another question come in. It just says this, I always thought that judgment was at the end of time also thought God was the one to do the judging. How can anyone know how the Lord will judge? It's a really good question, actually, and I would rephrase the question just slightly and place the judgment at the time of the end mm. rather than the end of time. Mm. And the reason that I would do that is because the Bible says that after the judgment begins, there are still events that are happening here on earth. So I'll just illustrate this one very quickly. Um, one passage is Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse 9. It says, I beheld till thrones were set in place. The Ancient of Days sat. His garment was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne like fiery flame, his wheels as burning fire. Fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. So that's the judgment right there. And then it says, And I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spoke. So the horn is still speaking. The horn is still doing things here on this earth after the judgment begins. So we know the judgment begins before Jesus comes back. We know that the judgment takes place in the end of time rather than at the end of time. Mm. And the reason that we know that is because at the end of time, Jesus returns and the Bible says that he brings his reward with him. So clearly the judgment has already taken place before Jesus comes back because he has his reward with him. The decisions have already been made. So then if this is going to take place at the in the time of the end and it is God who makes the decision as to who's saved and who's lost, how can we with confidence say that Judas is lost? This is a very good question. And it's a question in which we can very, very rarely actually make a pronouncement. But on this one, we can. And the reason is this. God does not need the judgment to find out who is saved and who is lost. Mm. That's not the purpose of the judgment. 
God is not ignorant of what happens. God knows when a person is saved and a person is lost. The Bible says that the judgment takes place, as we just read here, in open court, in front of the assembled multitudes of the universe. The Bible says, thousand, thousand ministered unto him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Mm. They're all there. And the reason that God is holding the judgment is because God is about to save some people and condemn some people, obviously, when he returns, and the probation is going to be over, and rewards are about to be handed out, Mm. either salvation or condemnation. Before rewards are handed out, God holds a judgment in open court so that the universe is not left with any questions. Because questions are, you leave, you leave unanswered questions in people's minds, you then leave the opportunity for sin to come back. Mm. God's only other option to get rid of sin would be to remove the power of choice so that human beings could not sin. They could not physically do anything wrong. And that would turn all human beings and other beings into robots and it would eradicate love. Mm. Love would just cease to exist. And so the purpose of the judgment is not for God to find out information. The purpose of the judgment is to ensure that sin never comes back by demonstrating that his judgment is right and just and true and loving and merciful. Mm. Okay, so then how do we know that this person is lost? Okay, so Judas is is one of a few exceptions in the Bible where God actually pronounces their reward before the judgment happens. A couple of other exemptions, examples of this would be King Saul and Belshazzar. The Bible uh, speaks about both of them as uh, their probation is closed, their salvation is gone, they are a lost person. The Bible says that Judas is the son of perdition. That's after he's dead. So we know that Judas is lost. The Bible clearly states that, and in the judgment we can see why that is the case. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.